Welcome to Rebuilders. It is the intrepid sound man, Daniel here behind the microphone, probably for one last time before I head back behind my screens and uh, audio interfaces for future recordings. We have been looking over the last couple of weeks of, uh, at principles of renewal. Now, this was some content that was recorded about a year and a half ago, released on YouTube, and we just wanted to re-release it uh, in audio form uh, for the listeners. Now, we've got two short clips today. The first one is Patterns of Renewal to Look Out For. And the second one is Renewal Starts in the Hidden Places. And that second one, we actually didn't get a chance to release it when COVID hit and the lockdowns happened. And so you're hearing it for the first time. Um, We'll also pop it up on YouTube as well, so you can check it out there. As usual, you can head to rebuilders.co to find that content. Um, But for now, enjoy. So renewals have happened before. There's been numerous times in history where renewals have occurred. Is there some kind of pattern that renewals follow? Like are there things that we should be looking out for to identify that a renewal is coming? Good question. Uh, I brought my notebooks, which um, got three whole notebooks, which I just felt like when I studied renewal and revival, just filled these with all the different stuff I was reading. And in, um, I thought you might ask this, so I had a post-it note ready to go. Um, in um, Lewis Drummond's biography of Spurgeon called The Prince of Preachers, he makes the point that a lot of people attribute um, the success that Spurgeon had um, to his fantastic preaching. Now, obviously, that was part of it. But he makes the point that actually really Spurgeon had studied and understood revival um, like he was almost a walking revival Spurgeon. Um, so I was really fascinated in these different leaders, like who revival was connected to their ministry. And what Drummond does is he, he, he takes an earlier book uh, by James Burns called The Laws of Revival, and then he bounces off Spurgeon's life. and comes up with a number of sort of principles of revival and renewal. So this is one example of, of that question, um, which I found helpful. So these are my notes. Um, I'm reading from my notes, not from the book. Um, But the first sort of stage is dark days. Um, Things become extremely dark. People abandon faith. Theology and ethics deteriorate. Lethargy, criticism, cynicism um, prevail. And a worldliness dominates the church, um, which becomes pragmatic in its ministry, like driven by human striving rather than the spirit or God's power. Um, It's almost like a little bit like an addict. It hits rock bottom. Um, that's the second stage, and is dissatisfied. So this remnant forms, and the remnant is sick of the status quo and the poor level of faith and and everything really in the status in the in the moment. And they begin to fervently pray, and this longing for better things. Things are so bad that this longing for things to change. Um, and sometimes we have longings, but what happens at that stage? It's hit rock bottom. So it's 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 a longing accompanied with the desire to do something about it. Um, and desperate intercession, contending prayer begins. Um, then the third element is a leader or leaders emerge. And this leader emerges who, through everything about them, their character, their actions, embodies the longings and the renewal that's meant to come. Um, the leader gathers up the longings and ideas and the remnant and personifies them sharpening them and expressing them and giving them visibility. They become like a lightning rod that God is using that person or those people. Sometimes it's very clearly one person. Um, Sometimes it's groups of people um, and and they become, yeah, like a lightning rod for for the renewal um, or lightning rods. 
Um, he makes the point that each revival is unique, um, that while following particular laws, like he, he argues there are laws, and there's some schools which say there are laws, there's not. Um, I reckon there's some broad you know, phases that in my, my reading of it, um, but he says he makes the point that each revival is unique. Often we miss the revival that's to come because we're looking back at the last one, thinking it's going to look like that. So every revival is unique. It has its own emphasis, elements, moments, and emphases. Um, uh, next point, revivals express themselves within a particular cultural context. Uh, so they respond to the brokenness in the culture and the particularity of that brokenness. They, they respond uh, to that. And so, so in a sense, out of that particular moment, the longings, God's response, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, out of that, that context and that problem, then particular movements begin. Um, so you could have Methodism, um, which comes out of what John Wesley is doing at a particular time in response to the parish boundaries disappearing, the, the beginning of people moving from the countryside to the cities. There's the response of people to find new places of meaning and, and the spirit to come. The Moravians were this refugee group completely from different denominations who the, the spirit falls on on Count Sinzendorf's estate and, and goes on to become this incredible missionary movement. All of these renewals and revivals are very unique. Um, and then the last one he makes is that theology returns to orthodoxy. There's a return of simplicity. So it's not like faith's dumbed down, but there's a return to simplicity and people have breakthrough through understanding theological concepts which previously seemed complex all of a sudden become no longer just ideas, but actually lived truths. Um, there's a return to the New Testament spirits and methods, the apostolic faith that the early church has sought. Um, the cross becomes central. The truth of the gospel becomes a focal point for preaching. Preaching goes from something which is just like mundane and has to be done to something which is like unction, which has power behind it, which, you know, the spirit is just infusing. Um, often the sort of areas of the church which have compromised theologically um, begin to wither. And there's this just rebirth um, in areas of just vital, you know, orthodoxy. Um, and there's this great missional push. There's almost always, there's always a, a missional evangelistic um, outpouring that the spirit doesn't just come to make Christians feel warm, but actually to, 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 to save uh, people and spread the message of Jesus. And, and those who had the right beliefs, the right orthodoxy, but were cold, all of a sudden become hot. And, you know, the right belief then all of a sudden is met with right action and, and the church is renewed. Um, so that's his overview of how he sees renewal happening. I think there's some, there's some great things to learn. One of, the, one of the things I also wonder about this renewal that God wants to bring is we live in the age of the image. And in the age of the image, effectiveness looks very different. Let me explain this. Peter Drucker wrote a book 
a number of years ago called The Effective Executive. And what he, he made the point in that book that if a carpenter makes you a table, essentially that carpenter has to be effective because if he delivers you a table and it's just terrible, it's hacked, it's got three legs instead of four, if it's falling over, you know straight away, this guy's not effective. So people who work with their hands, the landscape gardener who promises you a nicely landscape garden, you come back and it's a pile of dirt, you know within seconds if that person is effective. Manual workers um, can't hide their ineffectiveness. Now, particularly the last 20, 30 years, we've moved to a knowledge-based economy, an image-based economy. So many people now just work with concepts, with images, and it's a lot easier to hide our effectiveness or our ineffectiveness. Um, so much of what companies now do is actually managing public opinion, which is the image of their company. Now, what that means for us is we can hide our ineffectiveness. Instead of pushing into renewal because we are feeling that we're ineffective, um, we can then see the answer to our ineffectiveness is just more moving around of imagery and manipulating imagery and presenting a better public front to the world. This is what companies do. Um, you can make your life seem more impressive than it really is on Instagram um, with a nice filter and some good shots and editing. Now, this means that we're so used to dealing with everything in the public visible space. So when we talk about renewal, we have to realize that renewal is going to call into question our imagery. Now, I'm not saying photos are bad. I'm not saying Instagram is bad, all these things, or don't do any of them. What I am saying is renewal is something which builds first in the hidden places, off the public dashboard. You see continually people that God uses in renewal go through a period of preparation. Renewal is based on God's power, and when a leader is used in a renewal, it's not because of their human expertise. Sometimes that's there, but the primary thing is the spiritual authority they bring. The fact that they're a conduit of what the spirit is doing through them. You think about Jesus, Jesus begins his ministry. He emerges from obscurity. He is a carpenter. He then emerges in his early thirties into baptism this public moment, but then disappears. Where does he go? He goes to the desert where no one was except the angels and the devil. And it's in that place that his obedience is tested. The preparation of learning scripture, he responds to the devil with scripture. And then he emerges from obscurity with authority because the work has been done in the hidden places. Now, we can miss that dynamic today because we live in the age of the image. We can go and project this renewal image to the world. Hey, we're doing it. This is how I'm doing it. Renewals have to begin in the hidden places. A really helpful way to understand this is I call it the hidden bank account. Now, if you imagine there's two areas that you can deposit into. One is public ministry. I can spend hours putting up photos of myself. I can create web pages, blog articles. I can get out there and get people to interview me, do all this stuff. I can get up in front of church. I can talk myself up. All of that is building into the public space, right? A public imagery, my platform to the world. Then there's this hidden space. Who am I when no one's looking? How am I obedient to the things that God has told me to do in private? How do I secretly serve people without them knowing so that I don't get the glory, but God gets the glory? What are the people who God's asked me to give money to and bless them and not tell anyone? What's that moment when I resist temptation 
which I could have given into that no one knows? What are those moments that I carve out in prayer on my knees early in the morning or reading scripture late at night that no one sees? That's the hidden deposit bank account. Now, we're so used to something increasingly with a, a, a generation of imagery and the internet and broadcasting. It's almost like that old thing of, you know, if a tree falls in the forest, does it, does it make a sound? Well, almost now we need to say, if something happens and we don't broadcast it, did it really happen? Renewal is the opposite to that. Renewal is going to begin with a bunch of stuff that nobody sees. And I believe that the spirit is looking out at this moment. And the spirit doesn't want to have the people with the best, amazing public face. They're like, who are the holy, the hungry, the people who are just so desiring of God to move. They don't want the glory for themselves. They just want God's glory. God wants people who are going to partner with him. So his glory is paramount, not their glory. Um, So the renewal work, I think that's going to come, is going to be something which almost is invisible to a lot of the metrics of the world. It's not seen. It's not going to have, you know, a a shiny PR campaign. Um, So that's going to be new for a lot of people, particularly if if you're younger, uh, but begin to deposit in the hidden bank account of holiness, of obedience, of submission. That's the best investment you can make in the next thing that God wants to do. Well, thanks so much for listening. It has been our heart and our hope that in re-releasing these episodes that you would be pointed back to God's principles of renewal and the opportunities that stand before you. And may you step into those opportunities with courage and humility. As usual, you can head to rebuilders.co to find out more, to check out our YouTube channel. And our next episode, we've got Terry Walling back on with us, which we're really looking forward to. So we'll catch you then. 